Hey folks, welcome to another edition of Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. And unfortunately to the listener out there, uh, we do not have Sean Windsor again for another week. Um, he is still working on his tan, trying to even it out, probably on an island somewhere, I'm guessing Ibiza, Ibiza, uh, wearing a Speedo, smoking a cigar or something like that, like the cool Europeans. Uh, I'm sorry for that image. I'm going to apologize right now. But listen, last week we had Tony Garcia, uh, intrepid Michigan Wolverines beat writer for the Free Press. And so going from Sean to Tony was like going from Wally Pip to Lou Gehrig. But this week, we're going from Lou Gehrig to Babe Ruth because oh we have goodness. a special, I mean, this is a one, well, not a once in a lifetime because it's happened before, but we have Jeff Rieger, co-host of Wojo and Rieger, six to eight weekdays on 97 won the ticket. I don't even have to introduce you, Jeff. People know who you are. Welcome to the show, man. Carlos, it's good to be here. I don't know if people know who I am. They know who huh. Wojo is for sure. You know, he's been around for like 100 years, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, who doesn't love Wojo? I'm just the guy that happens to be on with Wojo. But thanks for having me. Oh, man. No, I am excited. Hey, and I've said this before on when you've been a you know, co-host and a, a guest on our show is... Uh, Jeff, for the listener out there, Jeff is just one of my favorite people in sports media. Everybody loves him. He walks into the room. Everybody has a smile. Everybody wants to talk. Everybody, it, it's just, you're just one of the delights. But also, also... I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. I am absolutely being sincere. And you could find, there's nobody you can find to say something bad about Jeff Rieger in sports media. If they do, that casts serious doubt on their character. I'm not <laughs> kidding. And by the way, he has the tough questions. There's a lot of people who don't. A lot of, a lot of. I'm just going to say keyboard warriors out there. I've, Jeff and I have been doing battle with athletes and coaches and GMs and PR people for decades in Detroit sports media. Jeff has never been scared to ask a tough question. And why not, Jeff? What do you, what's your philosophy on that? So here's the thing. I, I don't think they're tough questions. I really don't. I just think they're questions that people want to know, right? So like everybody, Carlos, you know this everybody has an agenda when they go into a press conference or they go into a media availability. Like somebody might want to write about an injury. Somebody might want to write about a lineup change. Somebody might want to write about a kid, a player's story, whatever the case is. I happen to scroll Twitter. It's now called X, I believe. I look on Facebook and Instagram and I find out what the fans are talking about. And I like to consider myself a conduit from the players and the GM and the coach to the fans. So if they want to know about it, I think they deserve to know about it, right? They pay the ticket prices. They watch the game. They invest their time. I think they deserve it. If they want to know why Dan Campbell isn't playing his starters in week three against Carolina, damn it, they deserve to know. Don't you think? Absolutely. Jeff, so I don't Jeff think they're is, tough questions. I just think they're, they're questions. They're tough questions. There is oh, no okay. question that, you know, when, when the coach calls on you, they know they're not getting the softball. They know, and, and Jeff does preface the questions often by, hey, you know, coach, fans want to know. Yes, before. Yeah. And, <laughs> but you know what? Here's the funny thing is, is Jeff and Jim Leland used to like, you know, do battle all the time, the manager's office and whatever. And Leland would, would grouse, you know, rigor, this and that and whatever. And, you know, and now he loves Rieger. You know, you know, we've gotten to talk a little bit in the offseason here and there with, you know, and he's always at, he always asks about you. He asks about you more than any other reporter in Detroit. So See? at the time it seems like you guys are kind of a, it's a little adversarial sometimes, but then afterward with time, people people respect what you do, man. I mean, absolutely. Well, I can't the, give you the moral props. of the story is if you ask Jim Leland about why not why I didn't leave us Brick Porcello in to pitch a complete game. <laughs> And yep. he ends up yelling at you. Eventually, yep. he'll he'll understand that uh, you know people wanted to know. That's all. I mean, I think Leland Leland always used to say, "I manage for the fans, not with the fans." And <laughs> I think you know the fa the fans they're why we do any of this, right? Without yeah, so fans, without people that pay the ticket prices, invest their times in the game, read your articles, listen to the radio, like we don't have jobs. It's all about them. So I always figured, like, why not try to figure out what they want to know about? Absolutely. And again, not tough questions, just questions. And by the way, when you when you are asking tough questions and people are mad at you, whatever, there's an old saying in journalism, if they're, if they're not shooting at you, if they're shooting at you, you must be doing something right. So good point. Uh, when they're coming at you, that uh, that that, mean, that means you're on the right track, Jeff. So thanks for coming. Thanks for, yeah, for, thanks for having for, me. Old what's his name, but uh, so today what we're going to do is we're going to have uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about Michigan football. 
the the days of our lives with Jim Harbaugh and the ongoing uh, soap opera over there in Ann Arbor. Then we're going to get into a little bit of uh, Jeff's favorite uh, Super Bowl favorite team, the Detroit Lions, uh, <laughs> how they're looking, um, how they're shaping up for the final preseason game and then the season opener. Um, and if we have time, uh, possibly Jeff's surging Tigers, who are, uh, I don't know if you got to break them up at this point, Jeff. They're, uh, they're, they're mashing the ball over there at Comerica. Uh, and then we'll finish up with my favorite thing. Sound good? Sounds good. How about the Tigers, by the way? All right, save it. Kind of save fun. It. Okay. They're up. They are fun. But let's save it. All right. Let's get into Michigan first. Your your Wolverines. You're a you're a Michigan basketball nut, right? You're not the uh, not uh, a yes. football nut as much. I love the Hoops okay. team. I do. I Unfortunately, the they're right. not very good. Maybe Juwan can co- can coach the first three games then. We'll see. We'll, <laughs> we can ask him. But all right. So so the news, if you if you've been in a rock, if you I don't know how you couldn't have heard this. Maybe it's too many things going on or too many, you know, switches and, and about faces, but so so Michigan supposedly had an agreement in place, right, for a four-game suspension. NCAA was going to suspend Jim Harbaugh for four games for uh, recruiting violations, misleading NCAA investigators. That fell apart somehow. So now Michigan this week uh, announced that they're going to have a uh, three-game self-imposed suspension on Harbaugh. He's going to miss the first three games of the year, uh, just in time, by the way, for the conference opener right against Rutgers. Uh, so first three games and... This supposedly should be, I think it's been a move to appease the NCAA. We'll see what happens if that's part of, uh, you know, we're doing a, uh, you know, we're being contrite here. So take it as, take it easy on us when you guys convene next year to determine what punishment may or may not come <laughs> from this. So what do you think? Is it the right move, Jeff? I mean, how do you read this? I mean, at this point, I wouldn't do anything. I would just see what they do after the hearing. Now, the NCAA is upset for a litany of reasons, right? They think Jim Harbaugh lied to them and they want a confession. So maybe this three-game suspension comes with a confession. And if that's the case, sorry, my phone's ringing, um, but I put it on mute for you. If that's the case, then maybe the NCAA would be happy enough and they would take the three games and Jim admitting that he lied. And then this whole thing could be over. But at this point, There's so many unknowns. Is Harbaugh going to be here next year? Is there going to be a hearing? Is the NCAA going to up the suspension? Once they decided that the four-game suspension, self-imposed agreement, whatever the case is, was it going to come to fruition? I would have just, you know what? Coach these games, kick it down the road, and see what happens next year. But from the get-go, Jim Harbaugh probably should have just admitted Whatever happened, happened. It was only a level two violation. It wasn't that big of a deal. But I do believe since he wouldn't admit anything, and then he says, well, you know, I misremembered. I do think that the NCAA finally, they're picking Harbaugh in Michigan to maybe make a case against. Like the NCAA, if you look into these things, if you self-impose or if you say, okay, we screwed up, they usually just go with what, the school dictates, right? But for some reason or another, they decided to not agree to this. So why would three games be sufficient when four games wasn't sufficient? That's why I probably wouldn't have done anything. The other thing too is, I don't know if the NCAA is mad at Harbaugh or if they're mad at Tom Mars, the lawyer, because he's a guy (laughs) that has had success against the NCAA. And Tom Mars was the guy that actually tweeted at the NCAA a picture of a cheeseburger which everybody says, oh, this is about a cheeseburger, right? So I do think... Cheeseburger game. Yes, I think the NCAA wants to prove a point. I think Michigan should just do absolutely nothing. I don't think the three games is going to do anything unless next year when they play Texas and everybody joins the Big Ten, USC and UCLA, maybe, maybe they'll... What, what is that, like credit served? So instead of like having to serve an eight-game suspension next year, he'd only have to serve a five-game suspension. But at this point, I probably would have done nothing. So Harbaugh maybe with like a, with an ankle bracelet, you know, walking the sidelines and for those two-game suspensions or something, like let's let's split the baby kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, <laughs> he might leave next year anyway. Whatever happens, whether he coaches in three games or not, they're going to win those three games. East Carolina, UNLV, and uh, I think they're playing your old high school in Los Angeles for the third game, Carlos. (laughs) So, I mean, it's not like they need Jim Harbaugh. He can still coach during the week. The whole thing is weird, and it always is with Jim. Yeah. Well, but okay, so, so to me, I mean, like trying to read the tea leaves here, 
does this not signal just a little bit from Michigan if they're imposing the three game violation, the self imposed, you know, three game suspension? Does it not say, well, maybe Harbaugh, we think Harbaugh is going to be back next year? Because if you're Jim Harbaugh and you think, well, I'm probably going to bolt anyway, if I get my title, or even if I don't get my title, if there's something coming down the pike next year, forget it. I'm not taking any suspension. I'm taking the Jeff Rear way of do nothing. Let's just let it play out. I coach all the games, win the NCAA title, and then I leave. And then someone else serves the system, whatever. They get levied some kind of, you know, doc some scholarships, whatever the heck happens. But I think you can look at it um, two ways, right? Right. Like, I think one way is they say, okay, we'll do three games because if Jim is gone next year, they're still going to have to serve a suspension, you would assume. So whoever the next coach is might have to miss less games, right? So maybe that's mm-hmm. one way, but maybe you're right. Maybe they know Jim is going to be there. So you self-impose three games and you hope next year is less than whatever the NCAA is going to hand down. The whole thing is stupid though, because Jim just should have admitted from the get go. It's not a big deal. It's a level two violation. He just should have admitted from the get go. Yes, I probably cheated a little bit and move on. But Harbaugh isn't that dude. The other thing to think about, and this is Wojo's theory, which is a great theory. Maybe at the time, remember when this happened, this happened during COVID. So, and it just takes the NCAA a little bit of time to get her going here. (laughs) I think Jim, at the time, he was two and four. It was a mess. They cut his salary in half. Like, people thought he was going to get fired. He lost to Ohio State five times in a row. He he ducked Ohio State, or at least people said they ducked Ohio State. I don't know if Jim felt that he could admit to another thing that would look like a negative on Jim Harbaugh's resume. So maybe he thought at the time, I'm not going to admit to this. I'm going to say I misremembered. It goes from a level two to a level one. In the meantime, I win the Big Ten twice. My job is a hell of a lot more secure. And then I'll just take whatever penalty comes down the line in two, three years from when it actually happened. You know what I mean? So so maybe that's how it all went down. All I know is only Michigan and Jim Harbaugh could take what is a level two nothing burger, not cheeseburger, nothing burger, and turn it into... Months of content. Yeah, well, Jeff, I mean, it's a nothing burger, but I mean, that's the thing, though, is with the NCAA, and I don't blame them, right? Because it's it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. It's refusing to admit this. And I, I, I think that's a great theory for Mojo. I just wonder if at some point, as you said, as circumstances changed and suddenly he turns that program around, he starts winning. Is it too late to go back to the NCAA and say, hey, by the way, I do remember that I was at fault here, or is the case closed? All the, everything's wrapped up. You can't, no backseas. You gotta, you gotta live with it. Cause I think at the end of the day, they want contrition. 100%. They want, and you want you admitting that you were wrong. It's not so much the crime. It's trying to evade the investigators and just lying to them. No, I don't no, no, no. I a hundred percent agree with you. Again, goes back to. Hey there, listener. This is audio producer, Robin. Sorry for the interruption, but we ran into some technical difficulties at this point in the show. Thankfully, we were able to get back on track, but Jeff's mic will sound a bit different for the rest of the pod. Thanks for your understanding. And with that said, here's the rest of the show. Usually the NCAA agrees to whatever punishment the school self-imposes. And again, it went from level two to Mm -hmm. level one. I think at the end of the day, and this is just theory, it's the Jeff Rieger theory, I can't prove this, but I think at the end of the day, (laughs) the NCAA gets sick and tired of being talked about what a joke they are. You probably got a bunch of guys that work right. for the NCAA that are walking around with low self-confidence because nobody respects the NCAA. <laughs> nobody. They, they are so up and down. They're never consistent. Nobody takes them seriously. Nobody respects the NCAA. So I do believe Jim Harbaugh, a lot of eyes on this case. It's Jim Harbaugh. I think they want to make Jim apologize. And you could understand why Jim wouldn't want to go back and say, oh, yeah, I totally cheated. But at the same time, I do think if Jim were to just say, guys, I cheated, it would go away. The three games, the four games would be acceptable. It'd be over. But I don't think Jim's going to do that anytime soon. So this is where we are. That's why I don't think the three games means anything. I think it's pretty silly other than if an apology is going to come with it. Now, mind you, I was out of town, but Michigan released a statement. There were no quotes from Jim. So Jim seems like he's going to fight this. I thought Jim might say, yes, I screwed up. 
phrase it however you want, give the NCAA their, their pound of flesh, and you move on. Three, four games, we're done. But this will go to hearing, and then the NCAA will determine what to do. Well, without the apology, and I, you're, you're, I think you're absolutely right about that, that's what they want. If you don't get that apology, then three games no. isn't going to cut it. I mean, they, we had a story in the free press and said, it was a source that talked to to Tony and the free press and said the 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 more or less logic is 25% is a standard practice here. That's what Michigan believes is reasonable. It's defensible. If the NCAA wants more, then that's going to come out at the hearing, regardless of what's right for Jim Harbaugh, what's right for Michigan, is to do the right thing. So, yeah, 25% of that, four, of that four game would be, no, that, would be three games, right? So so that's that's what makes sense. But I, the NCAA can't live with that. Unless they get the apology from Harbaugh, they're going to seem feckless. I mean, they're gonna, like, the then you're letting the, the animals and I run agree. the asylum. That's why I think they decided, hey, we're going to go to a hearing where they believe they can get one over Michigan. And it makes sense that they choose Michigan as their target to prove that they're not feckless. Because they'd be going at Tom Mars, mm-hmm. they'd be going at Michigan, they'd be going at the great Jim right. Harbaugh. But at the end of the day, for all parties, four games should have just been fine and just move on. Like at the end of the day, yeah, yes, were they cheating? It seems that way. Is it more than about a cheeseburger? Of course. Did they have guys on campus when other schools did not have guys on campus? 100%. They seem like they did. So just call it what it is and let's move on. Let's get it done for both parties. And the other thing too is like everybody already thinks the NCAA is feckless. So I don't know what they can do other than handing Michigan the death penalty, which they're not going to, that could prove that they're not feckless. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think, I mean, you know, I I would, if I'm in the NCAA, I give them one more game. I say, you know what? It was going to be four and it's still going to be four. And maybe it's the final game of the year. So you, you miss Ohio State. Now that would not be feckless. I'm just kidding. They wouldn't do that. That would be hardcore. That would be, be, that that, that that would be be like, you know what? The N in NCAA now stands for new. We're the new NCAA. That's right, people. We don't, we don't get bossed around anymore. Well, okay, so now, like, you know, we got to wrap this one up and no. move on to your lines. But but isn't this, it, don't people look at it, it? You have the pulse of the people, you know. So is it Michigan fan doesn't care, no matter what. It was a Jeez, cheeseburger, this and that, whatever. And the NCAA can never win. And they, Michigan fan is going to think, hey, uh, we've already, Coach Harbaugh has fallen on his sword. You know, anything the NCAA does, even if they kind of cough the wrong way, is going to be, you know, unfair to Michigan and the Wolverines and Maize and Blues. But outside of the Michigan program, and there's a lot of people who don't like the Michigan program, you know, nationally, locally, all this other stuff, they're going to look at it as saying, no, 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 these guys need to serve time, okay? This is not right. And they're going to be on the NCAA side. And by the way, I think the NCAA, they have to do something because this is a dangerous precedent for them. If a coach, if, if there was an understanding, if uh, we don't know how true this was, but if that four-game suspension was real, if that was all pretty much sewed up, and now Michigan, it, it falls apart somehow, and now Michigan goes for three games, they win. How do you, how do you let them do that? Why wouldn't any other team follow that same Scenario. Right, but and you're right, but but see that's the case. There, there's a couple things to play. First of all, I don't think Michigan's going to win. I think it's going to go to a hearing, and there will be more than just three games tacked on. I actually think at the end of the day, maybe Jim ends up missing six total, but three this year and three next year, which could include the Texas game next year, by the way, because that's in the non-conference. But I, I don't know if I see it as much as you do as the NCAA. Like, hey, we got to get this right to prove that. We're not pushovers because everybody thinks they're pushovers. You know, the, the, the one constant, I think, in humanity, everybody, everybody disagrees about everything except for that the NCAA has no spine. Like everybody thinks the NCAA is a joke. So I don't know within this what they could do. Now, I do believe if, if this whole thing was a little more salacious than improper visitation and recruiting, then maybe you're on to something, right? But it's like at the end of the day, it's about a cheeseburger, Carlos. Come on. But no, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think that's probably what's driving the NCAA. They look at it as, we got Michigan on the other end. We got to try to stick it to them. And I don't know at the end of the day if they're going to be able to do that or not. But I do think Michigan fans, as you brought them up, they don't care. 
They, they, they don't care at all. Screw the NCAA. We got Harbaugh, a guy they wanted fired three years ago. But whatever. We got Jim Harbaugh. He wins Big Ten titles. We love Coach Harbaugh. Shut up. And I think that's pretty much what it is. Now, Michigan State fans are going to be like, well, this is BS. It's the Michigan blue wall. Michigan gets everything. They're arrogant. They're elitist. And they never have to pay. And then they'll bring up Mozzie Smith and Donovan Edwards and Matt Weiss and, oh, yeah. you know, Jeff Jackson and, and Shemi Schembechler hiring a racist and Dr. Anderson and everything else. So I do think it's on party lines, just like anything else. Michigan fans say, I'm not spending one second caring about this while Michigan State fans are just like, this is crazy. If it was Ohio State or us, people would want us dead. <laughs> and the school, take away their accreditation, burn to exactly. the ground, let's start out. Yeah, right. yeah. Yes. That, that, that's right. the reasonable response. Michigan from State goes so. from a college well, to like, you know, a beauty school. <laughs> Cosmeto- cosmo- cosmetology, yes, cosmetology. All right, so so we're going to have to look forward. We're going to have to table this, and just like we had uh, the 30 for 30 on Miami U in the 80s and 90s with Uncle Luke and cocaine, we're going to have a 30 for 30 on Harbaugh and cheeseburgers uh, coming soon on 30 for Our 30, point, 10 though, or 15 years. It's not that interesting uh, at the end of the day. It's, just not that- it's so stupid. It's, yeah. perf- it's perfect Harbaugh, classic so not Harbaugh. Interesting. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more Jeff Rieger, and we'll talk about his uh, uh, Detroit Lions. My, we have an appointment my the Super Detroit Bowl. Lions. That's right. All right, we'll be right back. Folks, welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, but it's really Jeff Rear. As I said, the Babe Ruth to, to Sean's Wally Pip uh, joining us this week from uh, 97 won the ticket. Uh, and so, Jeff, let's get into the Lions, man. I mean, I haven't seen you at an Allen Park. I haven't seen you anywhere. I haven't seen you in at the Tigers. I haven't seen you in Allen Park. I, mean, I don't know where you've been. You're, you're a man of mystery. Maybe you're working uh, on a big Batman story, Carlos. One like, that's yeah. just going to blow the roof off Detroit. Okay, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's it, you would be the one to do it, Jeff. Um, all right. So Lions uh, finishing up the preseason, the preseason finale Friday night at Carolina. Uh, a few starters are expected to play as usual. Uh, everybody's in bubble wrap these days for the preseason. Um, that's why they have so many joint practices now, kind of simulating a game, but under more controlled circumstances. So. Tuesday is the roster cut down uh, to 53. And then they got the big game, Jeff. They got the season, the NFL season opener in Kansas City. Now, what do you – I think you have a theory about this. I think you think – okay, they're, they're, they're six-and-a-half dogs, six-and-a-half-point underdogs to the Chiefs, Super Bowl champ Chiefs in Kansas City. What do you think about the betting line? And, and is there a chance this the Lions can surprise the Chiefs? Okay, so I can go in both game? ways. I watched them against Jacksonville in a preseason meaningless game, and I'm like, wow, Lions depth ain't good. So if they get a couple key injuries, especially to the O-line, I worry 100%. I also worry, too, because they're the Lions. And until they prove that they're not, I mean, we got our whole lifetime being kicked in the you-know-what with this team. So I'm not going to really believe it until I actually see it with my own eyes. But with that all being said, I mean, is anybody Fair. in Detroit even talking about what's going on in Kansas City? So Chris Jones, who's an absolute stud, is in contract disputes. He's already said, what's that? Beast. Absolute beast. Beast. So be big defensive tackle Sorry. for Kansas City, game changer. He might not play in that game. If you dig a little deeper, defensive tackle Matt Dickinson, who mixed in with the first team at camp, is dealing with turf toe. You know, turf toe, that lingers a little bit. Defensive tackle Turk Wharton, Mm -hmm. who is recovering from an ACL injury, just returned to the lineup on Tuesday, but the flare-up that cost him a week plus is concerning. So they have all kinds of problems on the defensive line. I can dig deeper into the D-line. I think when you look at the Lions, and they were 5-6 ranked in the league offensively, and then you're looking at a banged-up, at least, Kansas City Chiefs defensive line, I think the Lions have a chance in this. Now, with that being said, 
they're going against Patrick Mahomes. But Patrick Mahomes doesn't even have the receivers he had last year. Last year, he loses Tyreek Hill. doesn't matter if they win the Super Bowl. This year, how many more receivers did he lose? Now, maybe it doesn't matter because he is the best, and I love the man. However, I can't see why, but I can see the Lions going in there and maybe pulling the upset. And if they do, this fan base would go insane. Like, there would be a parade scheduled to beat the Chiefs, I feel. Right? I think you have to cover that. I heard you're not going to Kansas City. you got to stay back to cover the parade down Woodward if they beat the Chiefs. But this town would go insane. But I absolutely think they could beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Will they? I don't know. But I would take the six and a half, and I'd take the Lions for sure. So, you know, I hate to I hate to encourage this kind of uh, yes. conspiracy thinking, and uh, but I will say, right, Chris Jones, 15 Big. and a half sacks last year, okay? Big, huge, all-pro year, tracking toward the Hall of Fame. All is just, I mean, he's had marvelous, well, not, not marvelous career so far. I saw a rumor the other day from, I think it was like NFL Rumors on Twitter, that the Bears are reaching out in active talks with the Chiefs trying to get Chris Jones and Kansas City's GM doesn't mess around. Like, he doesn't care. He's not going to be over a barrel. If you want to leave, I guess you can go ahead and leave. Look at Tyreek Hill a couple of years ago. So go get him Lions. But anyway, go on. Sorry. Well, so but, but if you take away those 15 and a half sacks, they had 55 sacks last year, the Chiefs in the regular season. Take that away, 39 and a half sacks. Lions last year, 39 sacks. Chris Jones yeah. may be the whole difference in that defense. I mean, they, they did not have a great defense. They were they were 11th overall in total yards. The only thing they were top 10 in was against the run. They were 8th. Everything else, points, uh, 16, pass, 18. They didn't have a great defense, and they've lost Frank Clark. If Chris Jones doesn't play, I mean, if you had said last year, no Chris Jones and no Frank Clark, that, that changes that defense. So I, I think you're on to something a little bit, Jeff. I mean, that's this may be an opportunity for the Lions. However... Uh, the Lions have questions on offense. Even as good as Ben Johnson has been, there's the receivers a question, the receiver depth, no JMO. St. Brown should be fine, but they don't, they're, they're not looking like a juggernaut on, on offense. And I think the Sam Laporta hype train is kind of cooled down just a little bit. Uh, he's going to be an all pro tight end, apparently catching, you know, whatever, a hundred catches and 2000 yards or whatever it might be. Um, so I think there may be a little, I, I, I trust Ben Johnson to know what he's doing with the pieces he's had. He has, he's a little genius. He'll figure out how to use them effectively, but it helps when you have really good players and you have, listen, everybody, everybody, everybody thinks the new thing is the best thing. You lose Jamal Williams, you lose DeAndre Swift. The minute they're out the door, they were garbage, hot garbage. Now, David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs are the second coming because they're the new thing. Oh, my God, they're so fast. They're so good. They're so strong. Blah, blah, blah. How many times have we heard this story right? Okay, go show it to me. Go prove it to me. David Montgomery's never been an all-pro. He's never been you know, considered an elite running back in the league. Good. But I don't think it's that much of an upgrade or an upgrade at all. We're going to have to see, especially with a rookie. So we're going to have to see that. Remember DeAndre Swift, rookie, first, what was it, the first game against the Bears, drops that touchdown pass in the end zone from Stafford. Made Stafford you know, want to leave. So it happens. It's, it's, it, they're human. That's right. We, uh, oh, yeah, actually, you that's him away, really, but no, but, Carlos, I um, 100% agree with you. I, I do think, though, I'm buying into the new hotness, though, because Jamal Williams had 17 touchdowns. But a lot of them, not trying to be disrespectful, even though he did get mad at me because I called it Pokemon instead of Pokemon. He's a big Pokemon guy. Uh, but, but anyway, he had 17 touchdowns. The majority of those were like red zone, two-yard, one-yard touchdowns, right? So I don't sure. think you're going to see sure. the same production with the Saints as you did in Detroit. So I do think David Montgomery is better than Jamal Williams. As far as Jamar Gibbs or Jameer Gibbs, I have no idea. I, I have absolutely no idea. What I do know is when healthy, the Lions have a great offensive line and they should be able to run the football. Now, you wonder and worry about the receivers, right? Because J-Mo's not going to be around for six weeks. Even after that, we don't know when he's going to be around. You, you worry about the receiver room. Mm-hmm. They're already going out and trying to sign receivers. You also worry, too, that you haven't seen them in the preseason. And the preseason's a little different than joint practices. So... I think there's a lot of question marks for the Lions that they have to prove in that first game. Like right now, and again, this is just me being and following the Lions my whole life. 
I wonder about, okay, you're not going to play them in a single preseason game. I can tell you for a fact, because guys have said it, you've been around that room. Players think it's different playing at Ford Field than on the turf at 222 Republic Drive. Whether it's the lighting, whether it's the crowd, the atmosphere, it's tougher to catch passes. And you talked about that Laporta drop. He's been catching the ball, no problem on the training field. But when he gets to the real thing, and that's the closest he's been to the real thing in the NFL, he drops a pass. So I'm 100% with you. Until they prove it, I can't fully buy in. But they should be better, right? They should be good. And the division doesn't look all that concerning either. Yeah, I think that they should be this should be better. I mean, the defense certainly yes. can't be much worse. So they're they should be better. But you know the uh, you know the defensive line. There's depth there. I mean, I was talking to I think I was talking to Dave Burkett about this, and we were talking about the depth and how the defense has a lot of depth. The offense doesn't have as much depth. But also, like it's kind of a funny a funny construct because. Well, the offense is better. Their starters are entrenched to the offensive line, the top receiver, their their running backs. They know who their players are, and they're they're good players. Maybe not, you know, Pro Bowl. Everybody's a Pro Bowl or All Pro guy, but they're all pretty good. Um, defensively, there's a lot of questions there. So their depth is better, but their frontline starters are not as great. Funny. You know, they're and I think that like. Well, one of the guys who stood out and everybody's raving around is rookie uh, cornerback Brian Branch. And he's like, oh, my God. That's also kind of a concern because when your rookie is standing out, that means nobody else is – I can't name another defensive player. Well, that's like Malcolm Rodriguez beast, last year, you know, remember? Amazing. Like a six-round pick stands up right. and you're like, oh, Absolutely. how is he your best linebacker? That's, it's great, but how is he your best linebacker? That's what I wrote last year was I wrote, I, I said that and I said, it's as good as it is to have, he shouldn't be your star, a rookie, whatever, six round pick or whatever he was like, he shouldn't be the guy who's standing out. You need to have your veterans be popping. You need to have all these. And Anza, Alex Anzalini had a good comeback year. He, he dealt with some injuries the year before. So he had a better season, um, you know, and there were some signs there, but they're, they still, I mean, this year, we don't know. We don't know what that secondary uh, you know, Tracy Walker's back, but who knows how he's going to be Cam Sutton, CJ Gardner Johnson, you know, I, and because we're well, not seeing them in games, yeah, you're absolutely okay. right about and, that. And I know the preseason means squat and I know the new hotness is joint practices and they, they can even do it how they want. They, they can manipulate the joint practices. Hey, let's work in the two minute drills. Hey, let's do seven on seven. Hey, let's do offensive line to go team drills, go whatever, uh, red zone, right? So they can do all that stuff, the stuff that they decide they need to work on. But when you get to live actual games, and maybe I have no idea what I'm talking about, it makes me a little uncomfortable, a little uncomfortable that when Thursday, September 7th rolls around and it's live bullets, and you're an arrowhead, and the place is loud as hell, and it's on national TV, and you're already going to be amped up like nobody's business to begin with. I worry a little bit that because the starters did not play in the preseason at all, I wonder how that translates. Now, now somebody, I'm totally open to the fact that I'm wrong about this. Like, I'm not, this is not one of my opinions that like, I believe that they are going to have a downfall because, <laughs> no, it's not that. But I do think it's a little weird. Okay, so Mahomes has played already. Now, Kansas City has not had joint practices. So maybe that explains why he played. But he's the best in football. If he's playing, I kind of feel I like to see a couple series with Jared Goff and the starters. You know, Justin Fields, they've had joint practices. He's played in the preseason. Aaron Rodgers is going to play in the preseason the last game this weekend, right? So all these teams are putting their starters out at least for a little bit. I think it's setting you up for people to question you big time if if you don't win and you look out of sorts on Thursday, September 7th. But again, I could totally be wrong. This is not like one of those opinions where I know I'm right and I'm willing to go down with the ship on it. Like if they go out there and look fantastic, then obviously I was wrong. I think that there's there's definitely some some merit to that. That thinking, you know, it, it it you have to be out there and getting hit. And I think David Montgomery talked about it uh, on Tuesday, saying 
it, you need that contact. And certain, certain players need it. The, I think the offensive line needs it. Running backs need it. Sure. I don't think receivers really need it. I don't think quarterbacks need it quite as much. Um, but if you remember in 2020, when there were no preseason games whatsoever, I don't think teams looked that bad. I don't think there was any difference, any f- drop off. Right, well, everybody was in the same boat. But I don't think it's like, oh, we didn't have preseason. We couldn't, we couldn't but get the, the ball. Key, though, get the everybody was in the same boat. This time around, other teams are deciding to do things differently. And sorry, but over the course of our lives, the Lions have usually decided to do things wrong. So, so this, this <laughs> makes me worry a little bit. But, but, but again, I, I know a Lions fan will hear this and say, oh, shut up. Shut up. You're just hating. Just shut up. It has crossed my mind. I would like to see them against Carolina. Now, the other side of the shoe, obviously, or coin rather, is if you play him in the preseason, then they get hurt, then you look like a dope if one of your you know, star players gets injured. So I get it. As I said last week, put Jared Goff in a bubble yeah. wrap after watching Teddy, oh. Teddy Bridgewater and Nate Sudfeld. It's like, you know what? It, it's not uh, maybe but there's anybody, a little bit of a difference. Jared, Jared Goff. Goff would be playing against or behind a, a legit offensive line. Like poor Teddy Bridgewater wearing number 50. I mean, he's playing behind guys that aren't going to be around in two <laughs> weeks. They're going to be working at, right? They're going to be accountants and electricians and they're going to be doing other things other than football, right? And you can tell that. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if you give your starting defense and your starting offense a quarter and see how they look. I mean, Carolina's playing Bryce Young, right? And he's going to start for them. So I just, I I understand you need to see who's going to make 53 and 52 and 50 on the roster. I get all that. But I also think you got to get your team ready. And again, I don't know if I'm right or not, but are they really getting ready to the best of their ability if they're not playing in the preseason? Now, they'll tell you joint practices. That, that's all that matters. So they probably know more than I do. Maybe not, though. We can't, we can't assume it. It's the line. So, uh, yeah, that's a fair question. All right. So we got to take one more break, and then we're going to come back with Jeff oh, and his surging yeah. Tigers. And uh, uh, we'll, get, we'll get into the Tigers there in Comerica Park. All right. We'll be right back. Hey folks, welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Again, we continue with our our amazing substitute pinch hitter. Well, Babe Ruth isn't a pinch hitter, so Jeff Rieger is here again from '97. Won the ticket, uh, Rieger. No, it's not Rieger. It's Wojo and Rieger. It should be alphabetical. Say it however it's you want. Rieger and Wojo. Sixty-eight weekdays. All right, I, I'm I'm demoting. Yeah, I got no issue with sorry, but sorry, buddy. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Uh, tigers. Okay, uh, they're surging. Your Tigers, my Tigers. We love them. Uh, five and five in the last 10, but more importantly, they, they, you pointed out something on Twitter recently about their season right, series so with Cleveland. What happened? The Tigers have three games left with the Guardians. Okay. And for the first time since 2015, they've already won the season series. And you might not think that that's big of a deal, right? Maybe it's wow. not that big of a deal, but I went because I'm a sicko. I went and over the last seven years, I looked just how bad the Guardians slash Indians tormented the Tigers. And this is the record. The Tigers in the span since 2015, not including this season, were 36 and 87. 36 and 87 against Cleveland in the last seven years. Not to mention, there was one of those years which is amazing. They were 1 and 18. They were 1 and 18 against the Cleveland Indians back then. And I'm like, Oh, uh, it might have been Garden Hire, to tell you the truth. But whatever. It was horrific. So I think that's a positive. Like, I think, like, you look at the Tigers and you say to yourself, okay, some positives. Number one, beat Cleveland. That's cool because they had it for seven years. Number two, playing a really bad division. Winnable division that if you make a couple tweaks... Maybe you are a contender next year and make the postseason for the first time since 14. But more than anything else, for the first time in a decade, it seems like, we're seeing development. Riley Green looks like the real deal. He's got over a 900 OPS. He's over a 300 batting average. He's a great outfielder. Now that Parker Meadows is up, he plays more left than right than he will center. He's amazing. Pretty left swing, or uh, swing from the left side. He's great. 
And I don't think there's any question that he's going to be a star. And then go to Torkelson. All of a sudden, Spencer Torkelson, after people kept throwing around the B-word bust over and over and over again, Tork has really come on. And he was hitting the ball hard early on in the season. Now he's perfected hitting a fastball so much to the point where pitchers are throwing him off speed and he's raking on that too. So that is an awesome, awesome indication that things are maybe changing for the better. And then Kerry Carpenter was like a 27th round pick, hit a grand slam as of the day we're taping this. I mean, he's got over 20 bombs. And yeah, he only has less than 400 at-bats. But he too could be a guy that maybe is around the core of this team, if you will. So for the first time in a while, it seems like they got a core. And then you got some guys in the minors. Justin Henry Malloy's been playing well. We heard so much about Colt Keith. They brought up Parker Meadows. He's done nothing but but really been impressive. So I'm confident for the first time in a long time that this is a crazy statement, boisterous statement, that the Tigers could be, maybe, potentially getting better. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I mean, they, I think that they're, they've made steps, you know, and, and taken steps. And unfortunately, I mean, you know, what's going to happen with Rodriguez, right? He's almost certainly going to opt out after this year. So that's going to change things. They've lost Lorenz, and obviously they had to deal with him. They should have dealt Rodriguez. That was a, a fail on Scott Harris's part. But you do, you're right about the core. I mean, the, those bats, you know, they're finally producing some offense. Here's the crazy thing, by the way, about that Cleveland stat is they have the best yeah. record in the AL Central. They're 25 and 15 against the Central. That's better than Minnesota. Um, they're seven after they, they lost the, the final game against the Cubs on Wednesday. So they dropped to, at that time, seven and a half behind Cleveland. They've kind of been not totally out of it. They're yeah. been hovering in third place in the division. It's not; a, it's the worst division in baseball, but they've been, they haven't been totally out of it the whole season, right? And the, you, the guys in the locker and clubhouse are talking about, like, hey, they still feel so, encouraged. Like, we're not done yet. There's we're, crazy we're, we parallels to the things. Lions of last year, if you really look at it. Uh, Tigers play in a garbage division. Lions play in a garbage conference. Tigers got hot towards the end, not enough to make a postseason spot. Same thing with the Detroit Lions. There should be crazy, crazy excitement for next year. Now, mind you, there was crazy excitement going into last year. They went out, they got Eduardo, they got Javi Baez, and then Al Vila got fired. I mean, things really went by the wayside. It really turned out to be poor. So you got to watch when you throw your emotions into something. But a good offseason by Scott Harris, you go out, you get some bats. And you might need a starter. Guys are coming off the IL for next year. I think this team, without a doubt, should contend to win the AL Central. As far as Eduardo Rodriguez is concerned, I and I got yelled at. I don't think Scott Harris did a good job with that. I, I think um, I think he probably <laughs> fell in love with the Dodgers trade, and Andrew Friedman probably was duped by Eduardo Rodriguez. I think um, the Dodgers were going to give the Tigers in that deal their second-best prospect, who's a catcher from the left side, if I'm not mistaken. And this team needs a catcher from the left side. So I I do think that Scott Harris fell in love with the deal so much to the extent that he didn't come up with a solid plan B. It's one mistake. If Eduardo walks, it seems like kind of a big mistake that you got nothing from a pretty good pitcher or for a pretty good pitcher. But all in all... Scott Harris brought you Tyler Holton, who is an unbelievable reliever. He brought you Matt Veerling. Nick Maton hasn't really succeeded. Brought you Zach McKinstry, who's been a nice little pleasant surprise. You know, so all in all, he he brought you Justin Henry Malloy when he finally gets called up. He traded for him in the offseason. So I think Scott Harris has been good enough. I would have been, I would have liked a little more aggression when you realize you could win this series or this division rather. But all in all, next year should be good. Keep Lorenzo. Would trade Lorenzo would but he brought Lorenzo. Lorenzo. That's the thing. So if this kid, Lee, I believe his last name is, who is in A ball or double A, whoever they traded Lorenzo for, I'm drawing a blank on his name. If that guy, 22 years old, kid, adult, whatever you want to look at 22 years old as, if he turns out to be a core for this team, then he worked that masterfully, right? Talking about Scott Harris. So I'm glad that he traded Lorenzo. And of course, the Phillies are too, because he pitched a no hitter like five days later. But, uh, but 
Absolutely. <laughs> Classic I really Tigers, do believe, right? I really do believe that the Tigers should be on the right track with a good offseason, which is fun to say. Think about it, Carlos. Think about it. The Tigers could be on the High right track. Prospect. The Lions obviously are going to the Super Bowl. The Red Wings went out and got uh, Debrinket. Now they should have a 40-goal <laughs> score. And the Pistons have a healthy Cade Cunningham, who apparently lit up Team USA in practices that I read about. So maybe finally, after a decade of depression, things are turning for the better. That's right. We're going to turn Detroit right. into Titletown. You, you just watch. Uh, yeah, high prospect. How you, that's uh, right. How you Lee who's really good. I think it's he's really good at Correct. getting yeah, on base. Yeah, that's what Scott Harris along with uh, other people. Yeah, so... Hey, well, how about this with Scott Harris, though? I mean, if you really want to give him credit, uh, you yes. know, Spencer Torkelson, right? Struggling last year, this year, killing it. And what was his, he couldn't hit the fastball last year, right down the middle. Like, fastball down the middle was his was his Achilles heel. And this year, yeah. from the get-go, no, as you said, hitting the ball really hard. And now he's yeah. got, what, 22, no, 23 no bombs this year? He looks like he finally belongs. Like, he, he looks like yeah. he could be legitimately 1-1. Now it's hard to baseball where a guy's drafted because you never know, it seems like. But yeah, I mean, Torque has been good and I I have no problem crediting Scott Harris for that. Like I said, I need to see more with a guy like Harris. The Eduardo Rodriguez thing really made me sour a little bit on him. But all in all, the book is not written. Maybe it just becomes a footnote when it's all said and done. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens if, uh, you know, what happens that if that if that Dodger prospect is actually yes. the one that they're going to yes. get, which will come out more. Someone will leak that to be a certainty how he does or whatever. But uh, yeah, uh, and, and I didn't want to be I didn't want to be too hard because the one thing we don't know is how much see, you know Rodriguez was playing this and his agent close to the bone and like, hey, we want X, Y, and Z. It always is about money. He has a no trade clause and he's going to, a lot of guys waive their no trade clause as long as they like it at the end for whatever reason they had. And you go to a big market team, hey man, show me some money, right? I'm not just going to go there for a few months and be a rental or whatever. Show me some, some whatever, increase my contract or give well, me some, some there, there's no question. something. I think, and he's got every right to do that, by the way, because it's his life and he wanted, the reports yeah. are 20 million bucks from the Dodgers and he would have opted in and he would have been there for four years or whatever the case is. And Friedman said no, and that's fine. But I would say this, I'm sure Eduardo was tough to deal with and I'm sure he duped them. And I'm sure he might've said one thing and then maybe did something else. And apparently like his agent is potentially notorious for this kind of thing. With all that being said, it doesn't excuse you for not trading your best trade prospect. So I still blame Scott Harris for not getting the deal done, but he's done a lot of decent things too and a lot of good things. So I, I'm not willing. Well, the question is, the question is, can you, you can't just give them away because if you do that, uh, uh, then nobody's going to make a deal with you. You're just, they're going to wait you that, out, that's right? That's the thing though. I, and I don't know, but I, I find it hard to believe when, start, when four teams went without starting pitching in the deadline, they needed starting pitching, they couldn't get starting pitching. I find it hard to believe that there wasn't some sort of market for Eduardo Rodriguez, who's a lefty, who just even right. as a rental, as an ERA under three. Now, was it as good as the Dodger deal? Probably not, in Scott Harris's opinion, obviously. But it doesn't mean that you can get nothing for him, in my opinion. But maybe it turns out for the best. Right. Maybe he signs with the Tigers long term. Maybe he opts into the contract. He claims he loves it here. I don't know, Carlos, but I, I think you had to have trained him. Well, his his family loves right. the East Coast. Apparently, that was the first uh, shenanigans things they were they were spinning. But but you're absolutely right, and I think that if you, you know, right. supposedly right, he had ten That's teams he on his no trade. Clause. So find a team that doesn't. Right. Yeah, find a team he doesn't have a no trade clause and and have something on the what back burner like just in case the Dodgers thing falls through. Pointed out that you tried to trade him. Like, he's got an immovable contract. Mind you, we didn't hear anything like that going into the trade deadline. It wasn't, if you trade Eduardo, it was, right, how right. much back are you going to get for Eduardo? So, so I, I just, I, I have a hard Absolutely. time believing it. Again, I don't know everything, but I, I think if you're going to nitpick on Scott Harris, that was a bad move. But again, he's done some pretty good things too that I'm optimistic in their direction. They better. Do they win the division next year? 
No, 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 not yes. any better. Are they going to win? Yes. Jeff Rieger right here on Can the spot. Can I come back and change my opinion after halfway through next season? Yes. 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 <laughs> come no. on. It's, Let's it's be positive. written in stone. And, yeah, no. Yes. <laughs> I think they have a good chance. I think if, if, if this keeps, and I yes. think baseball more than football tracks, you know, guys get better, they progress more at bass, you know, I, Perkle, agree. I think Perkleson might agree. be possibly an all-star next year. You know, he's, he's a really good defensive player too. He had a bad game a couple days yeah. ago, but uh, he's a really good defensive player at first. Scooping. That's a key position. Like he so, is like, like he saves a lot yeah. of Javier Baez and Zach McIntyre's and Zach Short. Yeah. Yes. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. All right. We're going to take one last break and we're going to come back with our favorite things. All right, welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean for our final segment here, our favorite thing, Jeff. We do this every every uh, week. Sean usually punks out and steals my favorite thing, but it's an observation, some, when, something that happened to us or we experienced in our last week or so, favorite thing. So I'm going to let you go first as our, as our guest. Well, that's very nice of you. Um, if I knew what yours was, I would steal it too. Um, <laughs> but since I don't, I'll give you mine. And this is going to sound kind of shallow, kind of egotistical. But um, we're going to go with it anyway, maybe even a little selfish. But um, I, I recently um, played golf at Boyne Highlands, right? You, you have the Heather and the Hills, the Donald Ross. It's gorgeous up there. You've been, right? Yes. Bay, Bay, Bay Harbor. It's just, just a gorgeous, gorgeous area. Beautiful. So, so I'm playing golf there, and I decided to uh, make an economic decision. For the first time in my life, you've golfed with me. You realize I'm not that good. But you, uh, first time in my life, I decided I was at Dunham's. I'm going to go with the expensive golf balls. Like, and all y'all good golfers use the Pro Vs. So I decided to get the TaylorMades that kind of look like soccer balls. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Those are cool. Yes. $52 a box for 12. That is is pricey. I'm like, I don't think 12 is going to be enough. I'm going to lose all these. So I also (laughs) bought like $16 worth of noodles. But anyway, that's not the point. So I buy these golf balls and I get on the first tee. And, you know, typical me, not going anywhere. As, say, 36 holes. As the rounds went on, I was driving the crap out of the golf ball. Now, the rest of my game still sucked, don't get me wrong. But I was driving the golf ball the best in my life. The people I was playing with are way better than me. And I was out driving them, which, of course, was embarrassing for them, I'm sure. But (laughs) it felt pretty damn good for me. And... I don't know if it's the golf balls. I don't know if it was just me, maybe being up north away from all the regular stresses of life. But the best thing that happened to me, other than having a great daughter and a great wife and a great family, great job. But man, did I drive that golf ball. Felt so good. Felt so, I, you know, I was hoping that somebody that was a good golfer happened to be watching me. Just when I happened to be driving, like maybe they were driving around in a car and they happened to watch me drive the golf ball and they thought to themselves, that guy can play. That, that's really all I want out of life, for somebody to think that I'm a good golfer. So uh, I felt like it for at least, I don't know, 10, 11 times over the course of 36 holes uh, over the last couple of days. So, so that is my one good thing. That's a great one. And I definitely, I definitely can tell you without question, it was the ball, Jeff. It wasn't you. So we'll buy another <laughs> you know dozen. What? You know what? I am going to buy stock in Taylor. <laughs> I am going to, I'm going to go on Amazon and see if I can get a deal on these balls. Golf just became a hell of a lot more expensive for me because if it was the <laughs> golf ball, I lose a lot of balls. I am going to splurge because it, man, did it feel good. I'm going to give you a, a little, a little tangential thing. And as you know, I used to cover golf a lot. And my big thing, and I talked to people at the USGA, rules people, and I had, I've written this before, and that I, there's something called bifurcation of the rules. And I've always been in favor of saying we need rules for the amateurs for equipment, and we need rules for pros or high-level amateurs. And one of the rules I've always proposed was we should have a driving ball for amateurs. They, they do exist. They're called Polara, and you can drive it long and straight, about 200 to 250, and that would that would make the game infinitely more fun for amateurs, and they should have that. Let me get this straight. Where do I buy these balls? PolaraGolfBall.com or something like that. I'll send you a dozen. How about that? Oh, send me a dozen. So you're telling me not only 
not only does it straighten out the ball, but it, where has this been my whole life? I have no shame in using these. Can I, I'm going to mark it up though. So in case somebody knows what kind of ball it is, I can mark it up. I'll draw a Sharpie on that cute little picture on it. So I'll block out the, the Polaris part. But why? I had no idea that even existed. Well, the, the Polara, P-O-L-A-R-A, um, they're, they have on the box, they do have some normal balls, but the ones that do this, um, they're, they're configured in a way that it says only for recreational purposes, not for competition. But, um, you know, golf, Jeff, everybody takes themselves way too seriously, all the rules, people and blazers and all that. So uh, they need to have this. And I've, I've played with these before with, um, mostly with my friends who aren't very good. And I'm like, here, you play with this off the tee, it, and it changes the game and the experience for everybody. I don't know why. Are you kidding me? Really? No. They've been I, around I, for 20 years. Oh, my. So so they add distance? That is unbelievable. Like a lot of companies you lose claim. A little, you lose a little bit of distance. You lose a little oh, bit of I'm distance, but they're so much more accurate. It's so much, it cures everybody's slice and hook and everything. It's per, They're great. Oh, my. God, that'd be so... Uh. I, this is this is the best thing that happened to me all week. You telling me about these golf balls? I, I'm gonna go. I, you know, I was gonna save my money to buy stock in Tesla. No more. Just everything which I kind of hijacked, Sean Windsor style, um, uh, is great, and I love it. And I'm, I'm actually kind of jealous. I wish I was up in Boyne. But my favorite thing, actually, it was it didn't happen to me, but I was reading this, and I, I think you might like this one too, Jeff is, as you know, the Red Wings just signed defenseman Jeff Petrie uh, yes, Dan and Petrie's in a son. trade with Montreal Canadiens. And he is the son of Dan Petrie, you know, long former Tigers uh, player, longtime broadcaster. And Dan's just a wonderful human, just a great guy. Uh, so it was yes. really cool that Jeff's 35. He grew up here, obviously, because his dad was here. He went to he he uh, grew up in Farmington Hills and played at Michigan State. Local kid, but he's never played with the with the Wings. So now he's thirty five years old. His dad's like sixty four. Now his dad gets to watch him. I think you pointed out maybe on Twitter, like he doesn't have to go to Pittsburgh and Columbus and all these other places to watch his kid play. He gets to watch him here in Little Caesars, which is amazing. But in Helena St. James's story, she pointed out that the way he kind of announced it to his mom is he showed a picture of his jersey he's going to wear, number 46. But his mom didn't have much of a reaction, and she didn't understand that that's a tribute to Dan's number. He wore number 46 with the Tigers, and I just thought that was hilarious. And the the funny thing is, no matter, you have two high-level pro athletes in your family, your your husband and your son, and you just didn't make that connection. And it just is a reminder of, when we are sports nerds and we're all into this, uh, sometimes we forget that there are normal people out there too who aren't quite into all the minutia the way we are. So uh, that was a that was a fun little reminder of just check yourself a little bit because not everybody's so in tune with every little detail, and not only not even Jeff Petrie's mom or Dan Petrie's wife. So that was that made me laugh. I really I really appreciate it. It was a great story. So. Uh, good luck to him this season, and uh, it's going to be great for Dan to be able to watch his, his kid play. Absolutely. So cool. So cool. All right. Well, hey, Jeff, you've been a trooper. You've been uh, hanging in there with us. We've had a lot of uh, uh, technical issues that we've soldiered through. We've gotten it done, uh, the professionals that we are. Um, so I'm going to have to thank you for again, Jeff Rieger, uh, co-host of Wojo and Rieger. Uh, weekdays from 6 to 8 on 97 won the ticket. Joe, thanks again, man. Carlos, always a pleasure and a tip to everybody, a pro tip, always charge your iPad. <laughs> or any device, yes, that you're yeah, yes, going to maybe yes, going to be on for an audio conference or something. You, you never know when somebody's <laughs> going to want you on their podcast. You just <laughs> never know. So make sure yeah. to charge those audio devices. Be kind of like Bob Barker when he's out, help control the pet population, <laughs> have your pets spayed and neutered. Same deal here. If you just charge your devices, people. The price is right, Jeff. You're you're absolutely right. Thank you again. Uh, especially for a media star, you never know when you're going to hop on. So let me, uh, we got to thank, we're thanking Jeff, Jeff Rigger for joining us, but we also got to thank, uh, we got to thank our producer, Robin Chan, executive producer and sports editor, Kirkland Crawford, executive editor and producer, executive producer, Anjanette Delgado, and free press editor, 
Nicole Avery Nichols. And especially, most importantly, Jeff, as you would know, the fan, the listener, you out there who make this possible. And if you like us, please find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you find your podcasts. Subscribe, rate us, let let us know what you need, what you want, what you like more of, what you hate. Uh, Just not me. So again, thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time on Repress Sports with Carlos and Sean. Mm -hmm.